Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Hey, um, we're going to introduce you today to uh, somebody who's um, very significant in our lives. Way back in 2007, Fran and I had the opportunity to study uh, for a Master of Ministry degree at St. Stephen's University in Canada, um, and we'd never heard of the university, we'd never heard of Peter and Mary Ellen, Mary Ellen Fitch, but, but it, was, it became a very significant moment without us knowing it um, in our lives. Um, for Fran, in a sense, the Master's study... Um, provided the, the basis for the role that she now plays as head of the formation program for spiritual growth ministries, training spiritual directors, and, and we never had a, an inkling of that back then. And for me, sort of having been pastoring since 1993, so sort of 26 years, it was at 2007, it was like there, there was a need that I didn't know about to grow, to learn, um, to go further. And, and our studies at St. Stephen's was was something that provided. And if you've been around for a while, you will have seen Fran and me grow in front of your eyes, I think, in a very large degree because of some of the studies that we've done via St. Stephen's. And um, since then, Calvin, our associate pastor, has completed his master's with St. Stephen's, and Sandy, our um, local missions pastor, is in the process of doing that at the moment. And so, um, you know, kind of it's very much, although you won't know Peter necessarily, although he did speak here a couple of years ago, um, it has been a very significant, he and um, the program that he runs has been a very significant part of the growth and development of, of us and therefore of this church. And so um, Peter and Mary Ellen are hiding down the back, or Mary Ellen's hiding down the back. Peter is here, I hope. Um, he's going to be great. Oh, there he is. Yeah, so come on up, sir. And um, uh, this is Peter Fitch. So it's um, it's lovely to be here. Uh, I think I've, I think that we've been here twice before, but one was quite a few years ago, and um, feel some kind of special relationship between Canada and New Zealand. It seems every time we come, we we just I, I, I always think that people in Canada are especially nice, and I think that of you as well. <laughs> and uh, I, we've been watching TV at night, and uh, we've been watching a Canadian. Uh, explosion of delight over the Toronto Raptors. That's uh, the basketball team. <laughs> and uh, they're doing well. And we've been also watching the Casketeers. And uh, I don't know if you've seen that show, but it is so beautiful. And I'm going to show, if, if I can figure out a way to do it, I'm going to show everyone at home this beautiful show um, from New Zealand. Um, yeah, Vic and Fran are treasured friends to us and, uh, and some of the wisest pastors that we know. And uh, so it's all, it feels like an honor to be here. And we've just so loved Calvin and, and uh, Sandy and Wendy. We've traveled around the world with, some, with, with all of you, I guess. And we also, Mary Ellen's at the back, but also two people from our church, Colin and Rochelle Shilston. Um, you guys want to wave too? These guys, <laughs> I say they're from our church. They've, 
they're from New Zealand, and they've come and lived in our community in eastern Canada for the last couple of years. Um, Colin and Rochelle were pastors in uh, Waka Waka. <laughs> in War- Walkworth. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I always get it wrong. <laughs> close. And, uh, and anyway, they've been living with us for the last couple of years and now, and now back here in New Zealand. And uh, it's great to have you here as well this morning. So um, the, the talk that I'd like to give this morning is, it's called Breaking Hearts. And uh, here, I've got a clicker. Let's see if it works. I think this is the normal concept of a heartbreaker. <laughs> you know, Jack Black doesn't necessarily have it all together. But, <laughs> but today I want to talk more about um, something a little bit different a, different, a different meaning to heartbreak. And I loved, in one of, I loved the... Boy, your, your worship team did such a beautiful job. So, so much love for what they were doing and doing it so well. And uh, I loved a lyric which was return, something about return us to our first love. Yeah. Oh, maybe I will say this too. I, I also felt almost exactly the same thing as everyone who got up to speak. Um, you know, we were saying, Lord, come and invade this place. Lord, come, make it overflow. And I was the word that kept coming to me during that time of waiting on God was um, the spirit and the bride say come. It's kind of like a dance, isn't it? It's like what we're hoping for is some kind of an encounter with God where all of God is available and all of us, we're available as well. And, and sometimes my, my sense is that all of God is invaded the place. Like it's always like that. The place is full. Um, you're full, I'm full, we're, we're just water jars, but we're also the containers where, where we meet with the Holy Spirit. It's just remarkable to be human. And I think in between all of us is God. You know, God flowing, sparking, and just, you know, the light in the eyes and the sparkle. You, know, you look at a child and you laugh, you know, it's the curly hair or it's the, the ice cream smudged. And, and, then, and then the cutest thing is said, I mean, how is that not the living God? through the splendor of God through what he has made. And in nature, you know, it's the same. And, and so sometimes it's like all of God is all around us all the time, and it's time for the bride to come. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's a bit like tides. Yeah. So we, we sort of withdraw into not thinking about or not being aware of splendor, and then we, we come back in. And, and, yeah. So anyway, that's, I guess, what my talk is about, too. So this is my real image for heartbreaking today, it's, or for, for yeah, breaking hearts. It's uh, something precious that we carry within us that needs to break open from time to time. And this is the passage. Um, when I was first interested in Christianity, I think that the kind of teaching I would get out of a passage like this would have to do with the historical and cultural context. I think people would try to tell us what it was like in ancient Palestine and what the meaning of the symbols are. And then later on, I think this kind of a passage became very important for prayer movements. But I want to look at it a, a third way today. So it says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume <coughs> And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she kept wiping them with the hair of her head, kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. 
And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man, Jesus, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she's a sinner. So to me, this seems like um, there's some real obvious questions we can ask. And here's my first one. What did this guy see in this woman? But how did he see her? How did she appear to him? But, and I, I'd love some answers. What do you think this guy saw? He saw a sinner. Um, what else? How, what's his, how does he measure? What's his metric? Lesser. Lesser. Yeah. Uh, found wanting. Uh, yeah, there's, there's something not good enough about this person. Uh, apparently because of her lifestyle. Something not good enough. Yeah. What else do you see? He measured her against himself. So this is really a way of making him feel better about himself. Oh, so do you think we do this as humans? (laughs) You think this is one of our tricks? I feel so deeply insecure about myself that what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll find somebody else to feel worse about. So that maybe I'll, I'll have a sense I'm okay. He has all the wealth in the world, apparently. He's wealthy in this society, but, but that's not enough for him. Deep down inside, there's something broken enough that he has to do something like that. Hmm. Anything else you see? What did the wealthy man see when he looked at this woman? So in that case, we could be saying, what did he not see? Yeah, he saw all the negative things, but he didn't see the potential. He didn't see the good. And I think you were going to say something. Wasteful. Wasteful. How do you mean it? Oh, wasteful. She's just wasting this precious ointment, which, you know, could have been a a tremendous expense. For according to the first way of seeing this, this, this passage, I think we would emphasize that many women carried around it almost like a dowry. It was like a priceless thing. So she's, she's taking something and, and she's just breaking it over Jesus' feet. It's completely wasteful, extravagant. She, it's like she's, she's off. Just one, one sec. She's, it's like she's missed the point of life. <laughs> yeah, say it. She's spoiling his night. He finally gets a chance to have a nice philosophical, theological conversation with somebody who's really got an interesting perspective. It's radical. It's a little bit outside the bounds. But, you know, at least, you know, it should be interesting. And we can have a beer and talk to our friends about it later. Oh, no. This woman shows up. (laughs) She's ruined everything. I get it. Yeah, Sandy. It was a dirty gift. It was a dirty gift. Why? Maybe it was earned by prostitution, sex trade, or something like that. Okay, so... Wow. But I I think most churches would accept some tithes if they came from... (laughs) 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 Just guessing. (laughs) Um, Okay, all of these things make so much sense. He's looking at all the externals. He's missing the heart of who the person is. In fact, he's, he's feeling, um, he's really judging her very deeply, isn't he? Well, what did Jesus see? 
What did Jesus see when he saw this woman? He saw a servant heart, Caroline. Yeah, he saw a servant heart. Humility. He saw humility. He, yeah, look at the humility. Look, and I would say courage too, eh? Like, I, I'm going to break every social boundary here, but I don't care. There's something here that means so much to me. I have to do it. Wow. Yeah, what else? What did Jesus see? He saw the gift and the giver of the gift. Yeah. It's beautiful. Macarita. <laughs> Say it again. He saw somebody real. He saw somebody authentic. He saw raw emotion with her weeping. He saw somebody who was not constrained by the thin veneer of civility. He saw somebody absolutely authentic and real. Beautiful. What else did Jesus see? He saw her heart of thankfulness and her heart of worship. Um, she's more valuable than she thinks she is, just as you are. <laughs> thank, thank you for that word this morning. Yeah. Yeah. He saw, yeah, the potential shame. He saw way beyond it. What he said, what he saw instead, I think, is he, I'm just I'm kind of remembering in the Old Testament. I don't I don't think I'll get the words right, but isn't there a passage in Chronicles where it says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking those whose heart might be fully His, something like that. It's like God is always looking for the condition of a heart. You know, I I, I don't know how you like your steak. <laughs> you know, it, it, so do you like? Do you like it to be well done, or do you like it to be medium, or do you like it to be medium rare, or do you like it to be mooing? You know, it's a <laughs> I think that God is always looking for uh, how soft our heart has become to his nuances. God is looking at all of us, not according to our external. I, don't, I just don't think he gives a care. I really, I mean, probably he does. He's big. He's, I imagine he's smart. But I, he, he probably has the whole picture in mind. But what he's really looking for is the condition of our heart. And this is a heart that's close to breaking. And I think that when God sees a heart that's close to breaking, it's this is someone that I can work with. I can go through whatever this difficulty is and bring it out on the other side richer than before. Does that make sense? I don't, it's very hard for God to work with us normally. You know, even for teachers, it's very hard for teachers to teach anybody anything. This is a saying that we have at our school. Uh, go ahead, teach me something, I dare you. <laughs> I think it's from the old um, Cliff in Clint Eastwood movies. <laughs> um, it's it's uh, one curriculum study said to teach anybody anything is water dripping on stone. That's why we we always say teachers called you. Uh, not that I've ever been to one, but you, I imagine they would say you have to teach things at least three different ways before, and, and people have to forget things at least three different times before there's a chance of it sticking, right? And, and it, it's actually almost a miracle when a human has a new thought. Because once we sort of frame the way we think about things, it's, we, we're, we're basically there. And so it takes a real, it takes, it takes a seed to get inside of us. And then it takes time and it germinates. And gradually we get a new thought and we become a little bit different people. And it's just about the same thing, I think, with God. And he's going, oh, I've got a human that I could bring into splendor. Just bring alive. And look, she's just at that place 
where she would receive a new thought. If for in this case it will be love. She will receive love and love is gonna make her life change. You know, pretty cool. So I think he's looking at something completely different than we would look at. Just like it says in scripture, you know, man judges by externals, but God looks at the heart. Yeah. Well, what did the woman see? She saw hope. She's why, why, why would hope come? She has a she's got this feeling something could change for me. She she knew through him she could get healing. I, I I don't understand it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what everybody's talking about. But something when people hang around this guy, they change. It's pretty good. What, what else? What did the woman see? Acceptance. Acceptance. She saw acceptance. She saw somebody who saw her. Oh, you are so right. This is actually, I mean, this is, you know, we, in the church, there are these phrases that we say from generation to generation. One of them is, we, um, we hate the sin but love the sinner. Have you ever heard that one? A Christian psychologist in America, a very brilliant guy, said, actually, that's impossible because people know non-verbally whether you're repulsed or not. People, people can feel whether you accept them and love them or not. So if you have any sense of, you, 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 you're offending me, that's not really love. You can think it is in your head, but th- that's not love. That means somehow we've got to get better than that. Um, I think she feels acceptance, hope, the hope of healing. I think she really sees somebody who sees her at the depth of her being and values her completely. Not offended, values her. Not disgusted, values her. Loves her. Priceless treasure human. Um, here's a little bit more in the story. Jesus answered, said, Simon, I have something to say to you. So now he's speaking to the rich man who's hosting the whole affair. Say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed a whole whack of money and the other just a little. When they were unable to repay, he forgave them both. So which would love him more? And Simon answered, I guess the one whom he forgave more. And he said, yeah, it makes sense to me. And turning toward the woman, he said, you see, you see this woman, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. You didn't really bring me in as an honored guest. Uh, She's wet my feet with her tears, and she's wiped them with her hair. Um, You gave me no kiss, as you would a brother. But but she, since the time I came in, hasn't ceased to kiss my feet. Uh, She's doing all the hospitality that you neglected to do. Um, You were were welcoming me in at at arm's length. You were bringing me in cautiously, thinking, uh, maybe, maybe this will be interesting. She's somebody who is saying, um, I see what you're doing with all the people who come near you. You're bringing them to life. And I want this life. For this reason, I say to you that, uh, oh yeah, you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And then he said, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, 
who, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. New start. Fresh. It's not just words. There's a transaction. Something has happened in the depths of her soul. He saw the condition of her heart that it was ready to break. And at that beautiful place, he loved it and nurtured it and fanned it into flame so that she could walk on. Different person. (laughs) It's pretty nice, actually. It happened to me once. (laughs) This is my next icon or symbol. It's really two symbols. One is um, ice cream and the other is chocolate. Anybody like those things? Is it in this country as well? You like these things? Um, What about these? Pizza, macaroni, do you like them? You like them? Oh. I I mean, especially when you were kids, maybe. Did you like them? Loved them. (laughs) Okay, all these things have something in common. Um, We call them comfort foods, eh? They have a ratio of one part fat to two parts carbohydrate. (laughs) And there is just one food in nature that has this same ratio. It's breast milk. Isn't that a bit interesting? Um, The reason that we're so drawn to these foods may be something that we don't completely understand about human nature. It may be that it's a calling back to something, to a way of being or a way of knowing that we originally had that we lost somewhere along the way. It's like having a teddy bear, which is a, a continued symbol, eh? Of being held by mom. So this is what Richard Rohr says. It's this beautiful Franciscan from New Mexico, an older, older Franciscan who has sort of an alternative Christian orthodoxy, a different way of looking at things. And I'm always amazed that he's not being excommunicated. <laughs> to me, it seems like he should be excommunicated just about everything he says. And I go, wow, I love what you say. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I guess that says something about me. So, so I found what he says about kinesthetic knowing. This is a term that he's using. He says, deep knowing and presence don't happen with our thinking minds. To truly know something, our whole being must be open, awake, present, We intuitively knew how to be present as babies. Psychologists now say there's no such thing as an infant. There's only an infant slash caregiver. The two as one. In the first several months, from the infant's view, they are one and the same. Infants see themselves entirely mirrored in their family's eyes. They soon um, believe and become this vision. Contemplative prayer offers a similar kind of mirroring as we learn to receive and return the divine gaze. In his book, Coming to Our Senses, historian Morris Berman makes the point that our first experience of life is not merely visual or audio or or auditory, but it's one of knowing ourselves through other people's facial and verbal responses. It's primarily felt in the body. He calls this feeling kinesthetic knowing. We know ourselves in the security of those who hold us, skin to skin, This early knowing isn't so much heard, seen, or thought. It's felt. Psychologists say that when we first begin to doubt and we move outside of that kinesthetic knowing, we hold on to things like teddy bears and dolls. My little sister, Alana, had the classic security blanket as a baby. She dragged it everywhere till it was dirty and ragged, ragged, but we couldn't take it away from her. Children do such things to reassure themselves 
that they are still connected and one. But we all begin to doubt this primal union as the subject-object split of a divided world slowly takes over, usually by age seven. Body, mind, world, self all start getting split apart. We begin to see the basic fault lines in the world, and the rest of life will be spent trying to put it all back together again. Isn't it just an interesting way to look at it? It seems that we all have to leave the Garden of Eden. That state of innocence and blissful, unconscious union. We can't stay there, letting Mother gaze at us forever. Unfortunately, if that primal knowing never happened at all, immense doubt arises about whether there even is a garden. God, for instance, where all things are one and good. When family systems disintegrate, people live with doubt and uncertainty. Actually, I think there's a very good role for doubt and uncertainty, but I think... I think there's a a, a kind that we need to break through as well. Hopefully, our parents' early gaze told us we were foundationally beloved. But when we inevitably begin to see ourselves through eyes that compare, judge, dismiss, then we need spirituality to help heal the brokenness of our identity and our world. True spirituality is always bringing us back to the original bodily knowing that is unitive experience, which is why you can't do it all in your head. Kind of interesting, eh? There's, I think that she's at the place where she can actually have a restoration of an earlier form of knowing, being at union, being at one. And I think this happens in our knowledge of God, but also in our knowledge of our true self. So it's kind of, it's quite a journey. We go out into the world. We leave security if we, if we got it. We go out into, into the world. And then in big ways and in small ways, through the rest of life, we're trying to get back. And this is one of the greatest gifts that comes through contemplative prayer or through getting to know God. But it's also just through loving each other. It's amazing how somebody really loves you. They give you that, uh, some kind of sense of security that you're seen, that you're loved, that you're appreciated for who you are. And, and, and you can rest a little bit just in who you really are. It's nice. I, it's, it's nice when humans do this for each other. So what's likely to lead us back? Here's what I think. I think sometimes it's just restlessness. It's like the need to go on a journey. It's uh, the need for an adventure. It's, uh, yeah, we, it, we don't have it all figured out yet. Like St. Augustine, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. Sometimes I think it's some sort of need, like all the various ways that a heart can break. Your heart breaks over stuff you've done or things you've gotten caught in. Or your heart breaks over the condition of somebody you love. Or, or just things did not work out the way you thought they would. And, and, and some kind of heartbreak can bring your heart to that place where it could open and a seed of love can come from God. And, and I think the third way is really this. It's just love. It's really, it's, it's sometimes we just are, actually we're standing in a worship service or we're standing out at nature or we're at a wedding and we just, it just gets so big. Suddenly we just realize that we're in the midst of splendid life. Ceremonial Sometimes, informal, other times, we're just in the midst of splendid life. And, and it's like a fire is kindled. Simone Weil is a person I love very much. And, uh, a Jewish, communist, genius, mathematician, linguist, just so brilliant. Um, just lived a short life. She became a Christian through, through visions that she had of Jesus in very great sickness. And... Uh, 
And uh, she said, attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. And I, I love this. I think it's true in the way we treat each other. And I think it's true in the way God treats this woman or Jesus treats this woman. I think it's true of the way he will treat us. Attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. And um, this, she actually, she says that she was overcome by love in the reading of this poem. She said, Jesus came and took possession of me as I read this poem by George Herbert. So I think I will largely close with this. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back. I just lost my, uh, my screen. Ah, it's back. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back. So Herbert wrote this in the 1600s, so the language is kind of old. Yeah. But I, I, let's wrestle with it a bit. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew near to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. So love is speaking to the soul, and the soul doesn't feel worthy. The soul doesn't feel valuable. The soul is shrinking away in shame. In shame. Did I say shrame? Yes. Shrek. Shame. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew near to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. And the next stanza is, yeah, yeah, I do lack something. I lack a guest worthy to be here. I'm just not worthy to be in your presence. Well, love said, well, I can make that happen. And no, I'm afraid I'm, I'm an unkind person. I'm an ungrateful person. I can't even look on you. And love took my hand and smiling did reply, well, who made the eyes but I? I can make you worthy to be here. Oh, I've done it. Oh, I've lost them again. They're there. Back. Truth, Lord, but I have marred my eyes. I've had thoughts. Oh, man. I, um, I, I, I have had thoughts that are unworthy. Oh, I'm human. <laughs> like everybody else on the planet. Um, truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame. And then this is what I really love. Once people get to this place where they're finally convinced that God wants them to be in some kind of relationship, their natural inclination is, okay, so then I'll go and perform the heck out of life. <laughs> I'll just go and I'll just serve and serve and serve and serve because I am so, I really do not believe I'm worthy. So what I'll do is I'll just try to prove that I am. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame. My dear, then I'll serve. Ah, oh, you must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. In other words, this is what love finally says. Ah, oh, shut up. <laughs> just, just let me love you back to unity. Just let me love you back to wholeness. And then so many good things are going to flow out of the person that I make you into. And uh, this is where I like this line. It's so hobbit-like, and I didn't bring it for that reason. You know, honestly, you've been tarred with that brush. But famous from T.S. Eliot, we shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the, know the place at the first time. For the first time. Want to say prayer? Want me to? Okay, okay thanks. <laughs> I can't wait to see what I'll say.
this beautiful place, in this beautiful church that I've, Mary Ellen and I have visited now several times over a period of maybe almost 10 years. Jesus, I, I sense a church full of people and a church itself, um, authentic, real, holding before you a, a perfume jar, gladly breaking it upon your feet and taking all that is here and with tears and with heartfelt emotion, longing to serve you, love you, do your will. So in this place, where even just coming in for a moment, one can sense the longing to be real before you, I just say, I say thank you so much for creating places like this around the world. And I ask that you touch each one with a sense of how you see us and of your love for us and of our valuation in your sight, which has nothing to do with what we've done or not done, but has to do with the condition of our heart. And, and as we open our hearts to you, as the spirit and the bride say come, as we come together, um, may we be changed forever to become more like Jesus, more accepting of others, better able to do what you do to us, to pay attention to people, to honor people, to treat people without judgment, to see their real value and their real potential. Thanks. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.